You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the X-Men Volume 3. Let's hope it's better than the film X-Men The Last Stand. That was not that was not really a great showing for that franchise. Let's see if we can we can do a little bit better. Thank you guys, everyone, for the support. We're getting even some new listeners on the second episode with Angel Vivaldi. We've gotten some great feedback. That's been amazing. Uh, we hit the charts again on the in the music category. Hit the hit the top 150. Pretty exciting. I'm gonna keep this intro short today. We have a bit of a surprise episode. I had another guest I was supposed to interview who canceled, so I got the idea to get our guest on today, Mr. Phil Labonte from All That Remains, also an X Man of the band Shadows Fall. Uh, this is this is a warning. From from the get go, this is a 100% strictly politics election themed podcast. So if you're not uh, politically minded, if that kind of thing bores you, then you should turn this off right now. But if you want to hear some musicians kind of get into that realm, then then this is this is for you. And Phil and I had a, had a really good time. I thought it was an incredible talk. Um, I want to apologize for the sound quality. We did it over the phone. I'm still figuring this out. Hopefully, it is the audio is something that is okay. And I don't have to apologize too much for it. But hopefully, as time goes on and I do more remote interviews, it will get better. I'm still learning the ins and outs. But for I think with this, it was more important to get the content, get the conversation, because obviously we have an election going on. And I wanted to do something specifically for that. So I wasn't sure how often I was going to release episodes, maybe one, twice a month or you know once a week. And I'm still playing with that. I think I'm just going to release them as I see fit. And hopefully people don't get too bored with it. So here we go. My buddy, Phil Labonte. Enjoy.
me and you, we have these discussions online on Twitter and it's the, you know, the, the one of the main reasons I wanted to do the show was to kind of bring normal people into like the conversations we have when no one's around, you know, um, sure, 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 yeah. or like make it, you know, like hanging I, out at, at fucking, hanging out at, uh, at fucking the, uh, the, the affliction thing or whatever, you know? Yeah. Or I mean, plus I, I just think it's interesting. And, and I think Twitter, for example, is so difficult to actually get out like a full idea, you know, because like I can only sure. type in these sure. amount of words and it's, it's very much, it's really like two people or multiple people just trading monologues instead of actually having a conversation. Yep. And it's, and it's hard to tell context or tone, you know, sometimes, I, you know, it, all that stuff is gets gets really difficult. So, you know, I think you know, sure. and and I know you, you're, you're you're like me, where you're you're on there having these conversations because you love talking about this stuff. So, yep, this, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this, this is the format. So, so anyway, man, let's let's get into it. Um, so, sure. just generally, I guess, how, how do you feel about the election being only what is it, four or five days away? Like what's what's the vibe? What do you what do you, what's what's going on in your head right now? Uh, I I guess the best way to to describe it is uh, disgusted. <laughs> all all around um, is is everyone equal offenders in that in that regard? Not every no everyone's not equal offenders, but they're all disgusting. And I'm including just like I'll start with the libertarians. Yeah. Libertarians have let me down so much. You know, I, I mean, being being such a staunch libertarian and and believing in in things like the non-aggression principle and, and you know, the, the really core beliefs of libertarianism to hear the way that Johnson talks is he's laughable as a candidate and the way that Weld talks, Weld is so plainly not a libertarian. Now, Johnson's, you know, Johnson's libertarianism is lukewarm at best. And Weld is just straight up not a libertarian. What about Johnson that, that is against what we're considered normal libertarian doctrine? All right, so it's not as much against libertarian doctrine as I am. Con My concern with Johnson is that his perspective seems to be that we should market libertarianism as a belief in, in uh, um, you know, being socially liberal and economically conservative. And to me, that's, that's a problem because libertarianism is a found, has, is principle based. And the social uh, liberalism and the economic conservatism are not the reason why we're libertarians. They're results of our libertarian uh, you know, perspectives. Well, I think the for. Fact the, that, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was saying, I, I think on his end, it might be almost like a salesman thing. Like he's trying to market the ideology to non-libertarians in a way that might seem appealing. Maybe I'm, not, I'm, I'm just yeah. guessing. I could be wrong, but I think I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I think you're exactly right. Um, problem with that is uh, people love to say that they, you know, oh yeah, I like the idea of, of social. Uh, social liberalism and, and fiscal conservatism, but it's they only like them as general concepts, mm -hmm. right? So it sounds good to say, yeah, I I want social liberalism. I want everyone to to live the way that 
that they, however they want, and there shouldn't be any kind of problem in a free country for people to behave in any manner they want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. But that's a, that's a good idea. That's a good thing. But the thing is, when it comes to, well, you want people to be socially liberal, so then you have to deal with people that are that have illiberal ideas. And the only way to the only way to to say it from like when it's it's a a, a, a like I'm trying to trying to to make sure that I have this this worded properly, you have to deal with ugliness in society if you're really socially liberal. Yeah. And normal people just you know pull away from ugliness in society and they don't want to live in a society that has ugliness and it's like well what's ugly to one person is not ugly to another you know homosexuality is ugly to really christian conservatives so christian conservatives will say oh yeah i want people to live their lives however they want until it comes to well you know that means you're gonna have to see gay people well i don't know and so it's it's got to, in my opinion when you're making the case for libertarianism, the best thing to start with is the non-aggression principle. If I don't have the right to take something from you or apply violence to you, then you and you don't have the right to do it to me, then neither of us have the right to ask other people to do it on our behalf. Yeah, so it's like a live and, and let live type of, type of philosophy. Yeah. There's a guy named Matt Kibbe who wrote a great book, and it's called uh, Don't Hurt People and Don't Take Their Stuff. <laughs> and it's real. Sounds simple. It's a real simple title. Yeah, and and that's really what that's really a good place to start with libertarianism if you want to simplify it. I mean, bringing up things like the non-aggression principle and and these kind of fairly, you know, fairly heady ideas about libertarianism uh, in a normal conversation. When you start talking things that sound like philosophy, people, you know, their eyes glaze, glaze over and they they're like, I don't even know what this guy's talking about. But when you say something simple like, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff, and that means that you can't do it and the government can't do it either. And if it's wrong for you to do it, then it's wrong for the government to do it. And that's much easier to understand. It's it's something that people kind of attach to themselves because they, they can see what it's like. You know, just the way it's worded, it sounds like, don't hurt me and don't take my things, or I don't want to hurt you and I don't want to take your things. And so to just go at it from a, a perspective like Johnson, um, I think that he was just trying to water it down, and I think he was a poor representative anyway. So my concern was Johnson being the, the first representative of libertarianism that a lot of people uh, see, to me, does more damage to libertarian ideas than, than having him get, you know, get into the debates. Well, uh, was, wasn't he the, the uh, libertarian nominee four years ago as well? No, uh, I believe four years ago. No, four years ago was Barack Obama's second run. No, no, who like who, who was the Libertarian nominee? I, I wasn't it. It wasn't Gary Johnson in the last election I, as well. I don't, I don't think so. I don't remember. I, I'd have to. I'd have to look. Um, I don't think it was Ron Paul. I know that I wrote in Ron Paul last night. Okay. So who? So so, <laughs> so. if if not. Uh, Gary Johnson, who who would who's your guy if you could pick anyone to to run or 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 if you could pick anyone to be in the White House? Dr. Ron Paul. Yeah. Even at his age, what yeah, is he? Kind of, how old is he now? Uh, super old. I mean, I guess if 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 I, if I had my druthers in this election, Rand Paul would have been the nominee for the Republicans, and I would have run to the polls as fast as I could to to proudly uh, cast my ballot for for Rand Paul. Um, Rand Paul is is imperfect, 
but he's not nearly as bad as as Johnson. He's, he's Rand Paul is a much better libertarian than Johnson is. Way better every day for Bird, you know, and twice on Sundays. Why don't you think someone like Rand Paul would run on a libertarian ticket? Is it just too difficult to penetrate mainstream politics? I think it is, and and you see that now with with this particular election, it's the, the the distaste for both the you know two big candidates is so bad, and you still got people like Dr. Jill Stein and 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 Gary Johnson doing very poorly. Now, granted. Gary Johnson is a, is a really terrible candidate, and I could never – I don't think that there's very much that I, I agree with Jill Stein about except for the, the collusion between uh, government and, and large corporations and lobbying and stuff like that. Um, so I, I, don't, I couldn't really consider myself ever a, a Jill Stein fan either. But even with the two worst candidates that we've had in, God, probably ever, and the, the independents still aren't getting – very much attention. And I think that's partially because people don't find mo- the vast majority of the voting population doesn't really find politics interesting enough to pay a lot of attention except every four years. You look at the turnout for the president for the, the years that presidents are elected, and then you look at the turnout for the years that it's, that it's just Congress and Senate. It's, it's, the, the, the decline is, is insane. You know, the numbers are, are just so dramatically different because people, I don't think I think people don't realize that their local politicians are going to have far more effect on their life than the president will. People forget that we don't elect a king. We elect a president. We we elect an executive to execute the laws passed by Congress. So, Yeah, no, I I think the the, the, like the actual day to day. You know, first off, just educating yourself about local politics. Like me, I've been a transient. I've I've been essentially moving around for the last five or six years. So I haven't lived in one place long enough to even get a feel for the local politics. Sure. Like, like moving to L.A., I've uh, I heard of uh, who was it the, the the mayor of of L.A. was actually on the Freakonomics podcast and. They went through a series of issues, and the guy was really smart, really ahead of the curve. And I was like, oh, this is encouraging, but it's amazing to get any insight on local politics, you know. Um, but, yeah. I, but I think, well, one, I think we underestimate, A, that people are just generally busy. You know, the, the mm-hmm. day-to-day, of, if you have children, if you have any type of career, it's, there's not enough hours in the day to, you know, figure out who your local comptroller is. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. just and and I think I've kind of transitioned myself to almost looking through national politics through the lens of entertainment because and 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 I don't mean that in a cynical way. I say that because I think when you uh, ingest it too much with like with the full potency, it it becomes too stressful and it's like it becomes kind of a proxy for the your own problems in your life. And it's, I don't think sure. it's healthy. I just, the same thing like being too obsessed with like your favorite sports team where you're like, you're having like a heart attack because they lost the big game or you're, you're like depressed the next day because they're on a losing, losing streak. It's like, dude, you probably should watch less football <laughs> if it's affecting you that way. Yeah. I think, and I think politics is essentially the same way. So I try and, you know, even though I think right now I'm, I'm, I'm personally stressed out about what's, 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 what's going to happen. But um, are you are you stressed out at all? Are you kind of like I'm? You know, because you live where in uh, in New Hampshire or? Yep, New Hampshire. So you're like, so, you're... so my, I'm actually 
I'm in a state where it'll, it'll matter. Yeah, yeah, so it's I'm, close. I'm in a state where I, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on voting for Kelly Ayotte, our senator. Um, she's doing, she's done a lukewarm job, but uh, I'm really unhappy with our governor here, and that's who's running against our senator. So having a governor go to Senate and then you know, go, governor going to Washington, it's, it's more, you know, it's more kind of, I don't know. I, I just, I, I'm not a fan of Maggie Hassan. I, I'm, there's some things that she's done here and, and laws that were sent to her by our state legislature that she vetoed and, and repealed laws that she, you know, worked against and, and stuff. So I, I just don't want her. So you don't plan on voting in the, for president? I, I honestly, I don't know. Yeah. Wow. You, wow. I, you, you are the mythical undecided voter. This is like, oh, it's rare seeing in the wild in its natural state. Well, the thing is, <laughs> well, the thing is like, so I'm a principal guy, right? So like, yeah. to me, the, the, you know, the libertarian ideas matter. So I can't say that, yes, I think that, that Trump would be an okay president. He's, he's antithetical to almost everything I believe. And, and so is Hillary Clinton. And then you throw on the fact that, I mean, you know a little bit about what my wife does. So if, if my wife had got caught with any kind of information like Hillary Clinton had, there wouldn't be a question about whether she'd go to jail. She'd be in jail awaiting trial, and she would go to jail. There wouldn't be a – there wouldn't be – there would have been no question about it. it assumed, like, it, well, there would, be a, there would be a trial, though, so there would be a, um, okay, an yeah, actual – Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah that was so. Prosecute. There's, there's Which, no telling what the, you know, what any trial, what what it, what it, they would find by the end, and and what would actually come out. Obviously, I'd imagine someone like Hillary Clinton had, if she were to go to trial, she would have as you know a good a team of of lawyers that we could possibly think up. I'd imagine, right? I'm sure. The, I'm sure the foundation has hundreds of lawyers that that work. For. I mean, she's, she currently has, you know, hundreds of lawyers that work for her that are on the payroll what? and stuff. So, I mean, but that's, that's part of my problem is that, that the whole, the Clintons, not just Hillary, but the Clintons and, and, it, and it, it's on both sides. I know I'm not trying to point at Democrats, but because of the fact that there are so many politicians that are currently uh, in power that are Democrats because we've had eight years of a Democrat, uh, you know, president. So we've got a lot of politicians that were that are Democrats, and we've got a lot of bureaucrats that are Democrats that were appointed by a Democrat. Because of that, it's, it's, it's affecting the Democrat Party. But it can happen to either side. It's not that the Democrats are, are exclusively the bad side. There is no good side. There is no good guys in Washington anymore. Well, there are I very mean, few I people that I go to Washington. That, can I, I just want to kind of interject to disagree with that. I think at least you have Obama. Sure. He appointed James Comey, who's a Republican. He appointed, I think, his sure. Secretary of Defense was a Republican. Even the... Yeah, his his nominee for the um, for the Supreme Court was before it was put forward by Obama was seen as a very positive person for for many Republicans, you know, or, or even him appointing someone like Hillary Clinton to secretary of state, you know, shows that kind of team of rivals mentality and, and being able to have, you know, trying to have kind of a balanced uh, sense of things. I, I mean, I agree with you. I think anytime one person is in power, you're, you're, there's a tendency to see that uh, party's uh, affiliates involved. But I mean, look, we have a Republican Senate. We have a Republican uh, uh, House of Representatives. You know, we're, we're a stalemate essentially in the Supreme Court. So it's not like 
um, there, there's not um, fail safes, I guess, against complete domineering power uh, currently. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. With, I definitely, I mean, I can't argue with that at all. That, that's all factually true, and I, and I agree with most of your, you know, pretty much everything you said. I just think that my, my problem isn't the Republicans or the Democrats. Yeah. The problem is the, gover- is the government as a whole, because regardless of whether it's Republicans or Democrats, they all want to do shit that they ain't supposed to do according to the Constitution. Like yeah. they, they, both sides, both sides yeah, want to pass laws that are unconstitutional. Both sides want to limit rights, limit the, the your, your, the, your, basically your, your unlimited rights. Like as, as a human being, you have an unlimited number of rights that the government doesn't have a right to take away without any well, some kind of due process or something. You, could, you, you want to go outside, you can go outside. That's your right to, to travel and to, and to be mobile and, and to travel through the world. You, you want to keep your property that's your, that's your right to keep your property. The government doesn't have the right to take it away arbitrarily. So civil asset forfeiture is one of the things I talk about a lot that, that to me is a really big deal. Um, you know, things like that. And these eminent domain, civil asset forfeiture, those are the things that really concern me the most. And neither are the... the candidates talk about it. And again, you know, Johnson and Weld are bringing up civil asset forfeiture. I will say one nice thing about Johnson and Weld is they're talking about criminal justice reform, mm-hmm. and that's awesome. We have way too many people in jail. For the free, for supposedly the freest country on earth, which we are patently not the freest country on earth anymore. <laughs> um, absolutely yep. not. But uh, for, for a country that, that started with this idea that all people should, you know, should be free to live their lives the way they want, and then to end up with more people incarcerated than any other country on the planet. Some doesn't add up. Some just well, doesn't add up. Well, I think that's that's something when you at least that's something that Hillary is talking about, and Obama kind of start got the ball rolling, going to federal prison uh, for the first president to go to a federal prison. He's uh, communicating uh, a bunch of people's sentences with nonviolent uh, drug drug crimes, you know, and Trump is trying to implement stop and frisk uh, nationwide, you know, so that is, that is a violation of the 14th Amendment. Exactly. And, and, and I think these are things that his, you know, I think, unfortunately, his uh, some of his comments that are inflammatory get a lot of headlines, but some of the actual things that he states as policies, if ever implemented, are much scarier. And it's difficult to know if these things, I doubt you could even do that nationally. I don't think, uh, uh, but, but, but just the it's idea. Did you just, just the, just like, think about it, dude, you would fill the courts with, with so many people fighting. Well, actually, no, what would really happen is there'd be, there'd be tons of racial, racial profiling and people the minority see. communities in, yeah, and the, no, no. The thing, the thing that sucks is the poor people don't have the money to sue. Like the and the ACLU doesn't have the the ability to rep, to represent all the people that would probably end up getting stopped and frisked and being like, look, they violated my rights. And there's only so many that would. I think it would eventually have to. It would eventually end. I don't think that it would be a long drawn out policy because I think the legal challenges against it would be terrible. It would be immense. But the the minorities. The minority uh, communities in this in this country that are the most at risk, the the poorest communities, the the, the would be the hardest hit, and that's always the way that it happens. It's always the poor people that get fucked, even when you know one of the whichever side it is, whether it be Republicans or Democrats, whenever they they try to help, it ends up fucking up the fucking poor people, and it's fucking a pain in the ass. It sucks, and, and 
when you're telling people, we can help you, we can help you, we can help you, and then you help just enough people so that you, you, can, you can trot out anecdotal evidence of your success because there was a couple people that were helped, you don't see the real negative consequences that, that tend to permeate through, through large groups of people. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty awesome that you say, that you say that stuff because, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here is, you know, oftentimes you and I will disagree about, about things. And as far as I'm concerned, the most important, the, the biggest, my biggest issue right now, I think that's, that's hurting our, our country and national discourse is the inability for people who disagree on issues to actually understand that the other side of the coin is a human and a person and sure. that we would be better served just like i can criticize your idea or i can criticize your opinion but i understand at the end of the day i well it's, but luckily i do know you <laughs> and i do and i do know you're a good guy and we're friends and we can have and we can say hey man because at the end of the day i want to actually us getting to this conversation it's not about me trying to convince you of my side. It's actually to learn your perspective. And unfortunately, people sure, don't yeah. don't. And, you know, and, and, and the thing is, I'm, the thing that really bothers me about a lot of the mainstream uh, news outlets like CNN, for example, is they get really dumb conservatives on there. And it, oh, yeah. and it oh, really yeah. and it 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 frustrates me because I know they're smart conservatives, you know, Andrew Sullivan, I think is really smart. David Frum, I think is really smart. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there are, you know, there are plenty of smart conservatives if you're willing to go out there, but they get these shills, you know, it's like, they, it's like you know, and it's, and it's, and I think on both sides, you know, I think you have someone like Donna Brazil, um, you know, who is literally, rough. Like, but the Don, I don't even know how smart Donna Brazil is. I, I don't think, think she, I, I think I, she's I, a hack. I don't. I don't know because I because I truly believe that whatever the Democratic Party said for her to say, she would say. So she may be like, "Ah, oh, this shit's dumb, and I'm smarter than this, and blah blah blah." But fuck it, it's a paycheck, and I like the money, and it also puts me in positions of power, and I get to hang out with Hillary Clinton, who's probably going to be the next president. I don't know that she. I don't know if she's dumb or smart. No, but I don't blame her. I blame so CNN. unethical. I blame CNN for hiring people like that. Like, why are you going to hire someone that is literally? parroting the talking points of a particular campaign like it does like you would yep. like if i was assembling a panel first i wouldn't have more than four people cnn has 67 people on there it's like what what is going on here? and you know and i would have the people that are the most objective not people that are there to just fight for one side like a cheerleader um and it's and it's a lack of and i think that's the the, the worst thing is is just just showing the horse race Showing the dog fight. All right, let's let's throw yeah. the meat in there and let them squabble over it. And it and yeah, there's it, this it, guy. Good. Good. What news and sites and things do you check out that feels like keeps you informed and and is it balanced or do you kind of tend to absorb more right wing media? All right. So in my opinion, the best place to go or to the best thing to look to watch to understand what's, you know, the, the implications and to have people that are, you know, and to hear people that are sometimes partisan, sometimes not partisan, uh, both sides generally. I really, really like Morning Joe. Not right. because I agree. I, 
I, I, there's a ton of – like, I, I know that Joe is not a very conservative conservative. He gets, that, he gets that criticism a lot. I understand that. I'm aware of it. No one on there is almost, almost never do they have a libertarian. Uh, Mika Brzezinski is incredibly reactionary and, and constantly, you know, her mouth is dropping open because she's amazed. But they have people like – you know, they have people like people from the, the Council on Foreign Relations. You have Senator Tom Coburn was on there all the time talking about the the, the uh, Article 5 Convention of States, which I think is a great idea. Go check that out, article5conventionofstates.com. Um, <laughs> um, they have, but they have, they have, uh, they have real policymakers on that show, and whether you agree with them or disagree, disagree with them, they have the smart people on that show, and that's why I think I like it the most. Um, they websites or, or like radio shows or podcasts? I like Ben... I like Ben Shapiro, so I listen to Ben Shapiro's podcast uh, as much as I can. I like uh, this other guy, uh, Buck Sexton, which is the best name. That guy, I, I'm amazed the guy didn't go into porn just because of his name. But <laughs> Buck, Sexton, Buck Sexton has a great has a great podcast. He comes from he worked for the CIA for a little while, so he's got he's got some friends in the intel community and stuff. So that's that's attractive to me because of some of, the, some of my friends and stuff. Um, he's disappeared some motherfuckers. <laughs> I th I think he, now he was an analyst. He was he was a he was a top, he was a suit. He wasn't a, a door kicker. So, but that's the thing is people forget that most of the CIA is nerds. Most yeah. of the CIA isn't isn't uh, door kickers. The, the door kickers are the are the guys that are hired to protect the CIA. So they're they're working for they're working for for uh, contracting companies. But I do know a couple of those guys too. <laughs> right, right on. Um, have you ever considered running for office? Since you're so, you seem like you really care. Uh, I would be. I am such a flawed candidate, like or concept. Me conceptually as a candidate, I mean, someone would come out with. I mean, maybe actually Trump's probably worse than I would be. But I certainly, I don't want it. I, I just don't. I don't. I don't see that in the cards. I don't want to be a public servant. I want to sit there and bitch about politics with the rest of us, and then be like, "Fuck that! I don't want to do it." <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, because it's 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 interesting. Um, <clears throat> what are your thoughts about that letter that Director Comey released to Congress? This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes. We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.
Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaking microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe to Grind podcast. Uh, I don't know. I don't have enough experience in... in, in I, I haven't done enough reading on procedure in the FBI and stuff. Um, I think that Comey, regardless of your opinion on him, I think that the whole thing has been a pigsty with Loretta Lynch meeting with the president or with former president Bill Clinton. And then the, like Loretta Lynch doesn't have the authority to say, I'm going to give my authority to someone else, which is what she did with James Comey. She said, I'm going to let him make the decision. And she doesn't have the authority to do that. She's the decider. When you get put in that job, you can't say, well, this decision is too hard, so I'm going to give it to someone else. She didn't say he was the decider. She said that she would base her decision based on his recommendation. So she's she's saying that essentially, I think the the problem with this situation is everything that we view as being fortuitous towards Clinton actually works against him, right? So if you look at the meeting... On the tarmac. No, I'm saying if you look at the the meeting on the tarmac with Bill Clinton, which I I do not think the Clintons have explained or or detailed in in any way that's that's satisfactory. That Mm -hmm. meeting plays into the narrative that they're corrupt and hence it hurts it hurts them and their their numbers go down, right? So when doing when Comey says that no reasonable prosecutor would uh, would go for the case, but then adds in that they were very care that they were very careless and reckless. Um, even though she doesn't get uh, prosecuted, that feeds into the narrative that it's corrupt, and she loses. Yep. They lose two points in the national polls. Um, and then this recent thing to me was above was beyond the pale because it. I actually think it, it has tipped the scales um, because of the time frame, because there's not enough time yeah. to recover, and people unfortunately only read the headline. And the truth is, if you yeah. read, if you t- if you click on the article, and you'll see, oh, this there is no there there. Nothing, there was no new information. They don't haven't even looked at the emails. And to me, listen, if if Hillary Clinton did something illegal, I think the people whose jobs it is to investigate and prosecute should definitely do, do it, do, do what's right. Um, and, but unfortunately this is not one of those situations. This is 
they they hadn't looked at the materials yet and just saying there are materials but we don't know what they are only feeds a narrative that has I, I, I do not think it is the director of FBI's position to essentially I I, I equate it to like a a referee you know making a, a no, call no, a bad no, call no. at the end of a game and you know and at that point the truth is I think Trump will win states based on this. The I FBI think is, yeah, I think I think I think you're probably right. And the FBI, like the FBI, it is it is completely unprecedented for the FBI to talk about ongoing investigations publicly while they're ongoing. Yeah, they, like the the Department of Justice and the FBI, they're supposed to keep that shit under wraps. Normally they do because they don't want to alert the person they're investigating. The last thing they want is the person they're investigating to realize that they're being investigated. I mean, so, and, and, and with it being so close to the election, I agree that there's probably not enough time. And I also think they're out, out of ammo on Trump. I think they weren't expecting this, and I think that they didn't realize that, that uh, I have a feeling they didn't know that, that Anthony Weiner was going to drag him back in. And I think they spent all their ammo on Trump. I, I don't think there's anything new that's going to come out. Everyone knows he's a pig. Everyone knows that, that he, you know, says terrible things. Everyone knows that he, he sounds more like a... <laughs> You know, so like someone hanging out on a bus after a show than a presidential Listen, candidate. The, the only thing that'll that'll bring it back is if we get Trump saying "nigger." You know what I'm saying? That's all. That's it. Yeah. The end that's it. We yeah, an, an end bomb would be would be. It. That's I, it. To be honest with you, I I even question that because right now, like I, from from what I can hear, like Trump doesn't have enough support in the black community to like fill fill like a, a teacup. But so yet, but yet, it, um, it, it, black so black turnout down is down. Does, does, that's the thing. You know, black turnout. Really? not. Yeah, they're not. Like for example, in North Carolina, uh, on the the early voting, it's down mm -hmm. six. Is it, actually, is it North Carolina? Maybe it's Florida. I can't, can't remember. It's one of those states. Uh, turnout amongst black voters is down six percent, and in a tight race like Florida, which is always tight. That could that could swing elections. So it's not that they're not voting for Clinton in uh, similar numbers to Obama, but they're not black voters are not as enthusiastic about Hillary Clinton as yeah, they're about not going out. And yeah. and and that can really really hurt. And and I think the reason they're not enthusiastic is because they remember the uh, the crime bill in the what, 94 crime bill. I think I think that the word has gotten around. I think enough enough of the black community has seen uh, um, the super predator comment and stuff, and it's like mm -hmm. wait a minute. Well, you know, I think I that's, heard, I I think think that's part who, of it. I think the guy was. What? No, I'm I think that's. I think that's part of it. But I think you know, if you look though, Clinton destroyed Bernie Sanders amongst black voters, and I think what it really is is that we have to remember that Obama is a unique candidate. He is, you know, even though he didn't win in the in the the margins that Reagan won, he kind of represents that same thing, I think, to the left and especially to the minority community, this kind of inspirational figure. And the truth is you're just not going to get that kind of enthusiasm on a regular basis, regardless of the nominee. You know? Yeah, the president had had so many things going for him. I don't I, per, I mean, I disagree, you know, strongly on most almost every policy that that the president has, has proposed, I'm, I, I'm totally against him, but you can't take anything away from, from how charismatic the guy is, how great he can give a speech, um, how well voters, uh, just how charismatic he is, like how, how much voters just like him. Even people, that, even people like me that strongly disagree, I'm like, oh, he's probably not a bad guy. He's just, you know, just, 
he thinks that government is the answer to everything because he's in government and he's always worked with government and he sees he sees positive benefits from the things the the laws that he helps get passed and stuff and I just don't see the positive benefits. But he seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Well, I think it's uh, one thing I, I've always like my kind of issue with libertarianism. I think in many ways I have a lot of libertarian streaks, which I which is why I think, you know, when you, you had someone like Ron Paul getting his name out there, a lot of liberals, guys like Bill Maher really liked Ron Paul. And a lot, you know, we, we, we align on a lot of those issues. But I think one thing that was really telling to me. That, that made me kind of question the, the, the ethos was when the 2007 crash happened and Ron Paul said if he were president that he would have done nothing instead, yep. of, instead of the bailouts. And the problem is, and, you know, and, and whether that would have been effective or not, it's not for me to say. I'm not an economist. I, I don't have the, the, uh, the wherewithal to figure that out. But as a president... You just can't, like, the political game doesn't work that way. You cannot get up in front of the American people and say, listen, we have, a, we have a great crisis, and by virtue of that, we will be doing nothing. <laughs> like, it's just I, not... I, I know it. It's just, it's not, it's not, like, I get it, and it's, because the pro, and I think that's where the principles, or like when Rand Paul said that they wouldn't, he wouldn't have, uh, uh, enforce some of those civil rights laws about, you know, businesses not being able to serve to blacks and things like that, because, and I think the principles, it's a little too rigid where I think, I feel like libertarians would be, would benefit to be a little flexible on certain things and not apply the ideology to everything, like a one size fits all, like we're libertarians and this is how we feel about everything. And it's like, I get it, but it can't, you know, some things you kind of have to, that's the thing when you're the president, you have to be president to everyone and not just your kind of voting block. Well, <clears throat> I mean, I get what you're saying. People want to have a president that is going to make them feel better about bad things. Right? So <laughs> true. I, it's true. It's true. I, I mean, I, I mean, I just watched uh, just today. I was watching 13 days. Ever see that? Um, no. What is that? It's about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, and it's basically it's Jack Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, and their I think it was the chief of staff, uh, played by what's the guy's name that was in Waterworld? In the Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. That's a uh, name slipped my mind, but he's in it, and it's a really great look into the way that the Cuban Missile Crisis was handled. And really, they didn't do a lot in the Cuban Missile Crisis. They 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 didn't do a lot of government stuff. There was the blockade. To, to kind of send a message, but it was a whole lot of, you know, hold on and wait and see and send the right message and, and make sure that, that Jack Kennedy, when he's talking to the American people, he's getting his, his message across. When Adelaide Stevenson went to the UN, they were all nervous about if Adelaide could be tough enough, but he got the message out across, you know, really well. And people want a government that's going to say, look, we're in control. We will make this okay. Mm-hmm. And that's good. That's that's just human nature. I think that people want to be told that, look, I can figure it out. It's tough to hear. I know that this is tough and it's going to be tough to go through. But the best course of action is not to print up a whole bunch of money because it can backfire on us and we can have significant problems. And, and it's tough to make the argument that, look, if we go through this right now, go through a lot, it'll be a lot of pain for a short amount of time. 
will end up better on the other end and will have actually fixed the problem. The market will go ahead and allocate resources the way that the market should as opposed to the way that the market has been erroneously allocating resources into the, the housing bubble. And so I know it's, I know it's, a, it's a tough thing to wrap your mind around, but the, the libertarian solution and the free market solution, I believe would have made the, the, there would have been some pain, some significant pain for, for probably a year, but we wouldn't have had a really lazy growth for a long time. We wouldn't have to print up all that money. We wouldn't have the, the Federal Reserve still stuck at, you know, I mean, zero percent. I think it's point two five percent interest rates now, or something like that. Like a quarter of a percent they actually managed to raise since two thousand eight. That kind of stuff hurts savers. If you don't have interest rates, you don't have people buying anything that that you know that that uh that accrues interest. That's why you end up with the stock market so high right now. And I personally, I'm afraid that we have either a dollar bubble or a stock market bubble that's going to pop because those resources, all that money that was printed up, it didn't get distributed through the, the, the economy and ended up going into the stock market because that was paying dividends for that's paying dividends for everybody that has anything in the stock market. And that includes people on fixed incomes that had 401ks. People forget that most of America that has any kind of retirement, uh, any kind of retirement that, that isn't just Social Security, most of the people that have any kind of retirement, they're tied to all their retirement. And even if they're on a fixed income, that's, that's all tied to the stock market. So this, if there's a stock market bubble and it, and it blows up and the stock market drops, you know, 4,000 points or something like that, grandma's check gets light. And that shit matters to people that are on fixed incomes. So I think that the, the, the messing around with interest rates and, and quantitative easing has put us in a very vulnerable position. And there's no one left to bail us out. We well, the one well, the, China. Can I, I just want to interject real quick about sure, the, the one thing I have to yeah. say about the bailouts, though, is we got paid back. And we and and with interest from all the banks. So the way I look at it, it was, I get it. It was a quote unquote bailout, but it it worked. And I think that's and that, that and that's the thing is, a lot of times people look at these things. You know, the problem is, everything is politicized so much. We can't just look at something objectively. You know, I was not a fan of George W. Bush uh, as a as a president, but I tell you, I. At that moment, I had a lot of sympathy for him at just as a person because he seemed overwhelmed by the moment and he it really felt like he was at his uh, point of desperation and he really he obviously he was relying on other people's um, you know advice on the situation and, and know-how considering he's not an economic expert and so, so I, I just think it's important, like no matter who's in office, like whether you like them or you don't, you kind of have to just understand that some of these things, there's no good solutions, you know, like they're all kind of, there's, there's going to be well, things there's bad, are, there's bad things that are going to come with whatever, yeah. when a bad thing happens, sometimes, the, sometimes you have two solutions, both of them are bad and you have to pick one. So it's it's hard to figure out which one's going to be the less bad, especially when one the one that that is going to be the less bad is going to seem like it's worse for a little while before it gets better. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just I just think it's 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 just it it fails us to like for example, if I'm a Republican, I'm going to try and find all the bad parts about the economy to get elected to say they're bad, as opposed to like you know like or vice versa. Like if I'm or Democrat, I'm only going to cherry pick. 
the events that that favor me. And the truth is, we wouldn't we be better off if both sides just said, "Hey, here's what's good. Here's what's bad. I think I would be better." But you know, but unfortunately, we have to kind of skew the story to make ourselves look better. And I think we, the 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 constituencies, lose out. You know, it's it's really not not sure. uh, not fair. But so I want to actually want to pivot to something real quick. I, I wrote down a bunch of questions, but we kind of went off on our own tangent, which I think is fucking sure. awesome. Because honestly, like I said, I think we can do this about, I, you know, I'd love to have you on, uh, you know, uh, regularly, you know, we can kind of just, you know, catch up on stuff and, you know, just 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 go, go back and forth. So one of the things I wanted to kind of talk about um, is the kind of alt-right, anti-PC kind of movement. Do you feel a kinship with, with that in any way? No, not the all right. Yeah. No, Anti-PC, yes. But there's, there's, and this, I'm not, I'm not, I don't like painting with a, a broad brush, but there are bad elements in the all right. Yeah. But genuinely bad, malicious elements in the all right. There are some people in the all right that are not malicious. I don't even want to say that most of the people in the alt-right are malicious or, or ugly people. I think a lot of them are really comfortable with really ugly jokes. I, I feel like 4chan has kind of – I feel like the alt-right is kind of 4chan getting old enough where they have to come out of the basement a little bit. And once they stick their head out into the real world and say things that on 4chan no one bats an eye at, then people are like, holy shit, I can't believe you said that. What the hell? You're – you know, and, and – all the bad things that, that go along with making a really horrible remark or horrible joke, even if they think it's a joke, uh, you know, that, that's what happens. But I, I, I can't say that I'm an all right. I'm not a joiner. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys that thinks that individualism is above all. So I can't, I can't say that I'm <clears> – I don't, I don't want to be a member of a movement. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I, have, I have just as much criticism probably for the all right as I do for Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Do you do you it's feel the like whole hive mentality? Do you like feel like this is a an odd time? Like like do you feel like the kind of straight white male is in this kind of defensive position? And now you know, I guess this kind of relates to the Trump movement to a certain degree of kind of like it seems like that demographic is like you know it's like the Empire Strikes Back. It's like it's like finally that demographic is like kind of standing up and so there's like this do you, do you feel that like like a defensiveness about being kind of the straight white male uh well the thing is it's become a pejorative there's a certain group of people that when they say you know cis white male they mean that in an offensive way yeah right so if you so if you so you and tommy are talking and you guys could drop n-bombs all day long it's not offensive right but if someone says if someone else says it it's meant as a pejorative. When you think it depends. I don't. Offended, I don't look at it that way. I. Mm -hmm. I, I. I. take the context into a, if you know into account and also um, intent. Intent. But I. I do understand what you're saying in terms of it being a pejorative way as saying because you're a straight cis white male, whatever the the the, the, the phrase is, that you're discounted from having an opinion on X Y Z. Yep. Or, or that, yeah, or, that I, I, or that, just by virtue of that, you're part of this kind of invisible power structure. That means you're kind of you're you're the, um, the you know the 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 one with all the power and throwing it down. Yeah, and you know what? If you tell some some kid 
If you told that to some kid that, that went to one of the shows we, that we played in Kentucky or West Virginia, some white kid, you tell him that he has power when he makes 20 grand a year at a crap job and he doesn't, you know, he has no hope of getting out of, of the little town that he's in. Don't tell that kid that he's, that he's, he's the problem in America. That kid isn't the problem in America. So to, to, to use that as a reason, don't tell me that kid has power. And don't tell me that you can throw that kid into the same group of, you know, kids that were born on the Upper West Side of New York that come from wealth. It's not about the color of your skin. Don't tell me that, that Malia Obama is going to have the same kind of problems that some girl from, from Ferguson, Missouri, some black girl from Ferguson, Ferguson Missouri is going to have. It's not about the color of skin. It's, it, and I think that using color of skin, using identity politics is bad. And I think that the alt-right really probably is a reaction to 30 years of identity politics from the left. It's gotten to the point where it's absurd now. And so I think that there's a lot of, a lot of you know, cis white guys that are just like, fuck that. I didn't do anything. Fuck you. I'm not automatically racist. I have, you know, I hang out with a bunch of kids at school and I talk to a bunch of kids on the internet and they're my friends. And I hang, you know, I'm not a racist just because I'm a white kid. And there's a lot of people that think, well, if you're white, you're automatically racist. And you hear that in colleges now. Yeah. You hear that in, in, in gender studies things. Well, if you're white, you're racist. And it's like, well, fuck, man. If, if, if automatically I'm racist, then what the fuck do I care if I, I post something on the Internet that's shitty and then someone says, oh, that's racist, you're a racist. Well, fuck it, I'm a racist anyways. Yeah. And that's, that's, a shitty thing. that's a shitty thing to have in society, have people that are kind of giving up on being nice because they feel like, well, fucking being nice and, and being cool ain't getting me nowhere. So fuck it. I don't care if you call me a racist. You're going to call me a racist anyway. They were calling fucking Mitt Romney a racist. Joe Biden said that Mitt Romney was going to put y'all back in chains. Like that's <laughs> Mitt, Romney, Mitt Romney's the most milk-toast, probably sweetest person. Whether you agree with him or like him, he's prob- I mean, he's, he's a nerd, but he's not a racist. But it's been up. Oh, Republicans and white people, you're all racist. It's been that so long that people are, are desensitizing, and they're they're genuinely ruining the actual meanings of words. And I've, I've put this kind of stuff on the internet before. Using improper application of a word too much, and then you fuck up what the word really means. Boyle card wolf you know? syndrome, where you amplify yeah. something. Well, I, I would say I, I think I, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there in terms of, um, and I think that's where the, the Trump appeal happens is, is, is that, um, that demographic definitely feels that way. And I think it's, I think even though I, you know, I, I'm of the mind though, you know, cause I'm a, I'm a big Sam Harris guy. I love, I love dude, Sam Harris is one of my favorite podcasts. Good yeah. Lord. I love that. Yeah, guy. He's, and he's, I, and genius. I, I, He's, he is. I mean, obviously, he's, he's a genius, and incredibly brilliant. And his 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 stuff, it, his stuff on AI is awesome. Uh, I love the stuff that he that he that him and Majid Nawaz do, uh, are doing about have, having to try and try and help any kind of uh, modernization of, of of the more extreme sects of Islam. I love that kind of stuff. I love the. I, I think he's phenomenal. I can't say enough good things about him. And I think it's even hilarious to listen to him trash Trump. He's so worried about Trump. Well, he's, I think, but I think that's an indication when you, when you hear his talk with him and uh, Andrew Sullivan, and I listen to that, and I'm saying these are men who are 
much or more educated than I am, have a better view of of these subjects and the history, and and I think their 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 kind of cognitive capacity is even better than mine. And they're they and these are you know these are are not you know uh, died in the wool liberals, and they they understand. I I agree with them even before I heard that. You know I I think it's I think having Trump in office would be devastating to our country and perhaps the world and not and for decades i think i think it the symbolism of having someone uh, so reviled and and who um has so many psychological failings i think would would be it would be very it would be tough he's literally anti-obama in in and in, in, in not even from a policy standpoint, if you're just talking about the symbolism of the office, he's bizarre. It, he's bizarro, Obama. Yeah, it's it, but it's in, in a weird way. It's 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 really in, in, insane. But kind of going back to what, what I said, you know, you're talking about identity poli- politics, and I think it's something that's really important. Is I think unfortunately, not wanting to live in a world where identity politics doesn't exist is like a fantasy, because the truth is. Like, I remember, like, me and you kind of got into it on Twitter a little bit ago when I, I, I sent a tweet out about the vice presidential debate. I was like, Pence versus Kane. It's like rice cakes versus two- skim milk. You were like, what does, what does that mean, bro? And I felt like a little, like you were a little serious about it. And I, but I think it had nah. to do. No, you were just joking. No, well, I, I, at first I was like, "What, what are, you, are you talking?" I was like, "Well, are you are you talking about like because they're so so vanilla? Like, is, is it because they're because they're like so like is it like because they're so bland and uninteresting, or is there like making a joke about white?" But what? But what if I? But let's say let's say for example, I was making a joke about white people. Would you have been mad? No. 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 I don't get mad, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I really, really, I'm always really, worried that really, I get that you get mad, like you'll get say something and like, no. like, like I'm, I'm offending you. I'm like, the last thing I want to do is is uh, offend my friends or, or think that there's any mm-hmm. ill ill will. But I just no. think that. So I remember. So Sam Harris and the comedian Hannibal Burris got into an argument on this other show on Josh Zepp's show. Did you did you hear that? Didn't see that now. Um, you should really check it out, but it was it was a crazy conversation. But it was, you know, I think Sam Harris was was right in this issue, but it was but it was basically the idea about identity politics and that you can say like so for example, if I if I do a precursor before making a statement, I could say, well, as a mixed race man, and then fill in the blank about you know in that and uh, Sam Harris asserts that that's a really that that type of um, framing should go away. But the truth is, it, that's a, a perfect world scenario. I think our background is something that is, is just, it is unconsciously affects everything about the way Inextricably we linked to who we are. Yeah, and it's not, and even though we want to sit, I'd like to sit there and like, Sam Harris is about as uh, robotic and almost, he's almost like a, you know, like a Vulcan. You know, the way he, you know, he's so logical, you know, and I think it's, and I, and, and I'd say 99% of that I really admire, but I think there's also, we have to understand each other's intrinsic humanity and in that our, my experience is going to shape 
and color the way I see the world. And we're all going to have our own biases. And we have to understand yeah. our own biases and say, hey, like, and I, I generally feel this, you know, without identity politics, I'm a mixed race person. I'm half black, half white, and have been lucky to live in both worlds and experience both both worlds. And that gives me a a perspective that's unique and helpful, I think. So without sure. I, the identity part of the politics, I wouldn't be able to assert my opinion in a way that I think, you know, that my, that my perspective is, is different, you know? And I think that's okay. Like, it's not that I think we should abolish identity politics. I think what we should try and get, get rid of is people using their race or their sex or their gender um, or sexual preference as kind of like a shield or as a weapon to, to discredit people with, uh, you know, who are, who are different. I think that's what we need to kind of, we need to just have a better uh, way about engaging each other on those things and just be wary, but not so, I don't know, we're, we're, everyone's on the attack right now, I think. I think that, I think that if, if, if people were able to come at disagreements or debates or exchanges of ideas, differing ideas with, with some more empathy, then identity politics would be unnecessary. Um, I, I honestly do think that identity politics is used as a weapon more than it's used for trying to get someone to understand someone else's experiences. Yeah. I feel like, like obviously, like, like you're saying, in an ideal world, people would try to look at someone with a different background and with different experiences and say, well, you know what, let me try to understand them before they would say, oh, they're only saying this because they're this or that or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if we, if we, and it sounds really, I feel like it, saying that sounds kind of like a cop-out because, yeah, obviously, I mean, if, if wishes were horses, dreamers would ride, and if, if you know, if, if men were angels, there would be no need for government and all these things that almost sound like platitudes. Yeah. If you're going to have a serious conversation, you have to be interested in the other person's opinion. And you have to be interested in why they have that opinion. And you have to be interested in more than just the opinion. You know what I mean? You have to be more, you have to be interested in the person and their background and why they feel that way. And, and how did they come to feel like that? If, and if you don't do that, you certainly are never going to, going to make them feel like you care what they're saying. And if you don't care what they're saying, you're never going to persuade them. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, but it's funny. I, I went into this conversation like, all right, me and Phil see things so differently. This is going to be crazy. We're going to be going back and forth. And then instead, me and you end up like agreeing on 90%. The, the thing is, the thing is, and this happens all the time because I'm, I'm pretty strident in my opinions and I'm really anti-government. But the thing that people disagree with me about, it's never the points. It's always how to get there. Yeah. It's always... It's always how do we get the results that, that we're looking for. When it comes to the results that we're talking about, I mean, no one's going to say they want less free people in America. <laughs> you know, no, one no one wants less freedom, or very few people do. No one wants, wants people to live in abject poverty. People that say things like, you know, oh, I, I just want to help the poor. And I'm like, you know what's helped the poor more than anything in human history? Capitalism. Capitalism has brought more people out of abject poverty than any government, any, any social interaction, interactive system in all of human history. 
the, the, the free exchange of ideas and goods is always beneficial to more people than it hurts. But I'm not like, oh, don't take my property or don't take people's property or taxation is theft because I want poor people to die. You know, I had this conversation with one of the guys when I was out in L.A. When I came in, everyone expected this certain guy. They, you know, everyone did a little bit of homework and kind of read up and did a little Internet searching and stuff. And they expect me to be this. And then by the time that I left L.A., you know, these guys that were that are extremely liberal and, and stuff are like, no, no, he, he's right on this. No, I get that. Yeah, I agree with you on this. And no, that's 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 really cool. And blah, blah, blah. Because to explain why I want the things, why I want the government to not do the things I want the government to not do. It, the reason is because I want people to have a better life. And I believe that bureaucracies and, and government collusion with corporations is bad. And I believe – I mean, I, there's, I could sit down with a Bernie supporter, and we could say – we could sit there and talk all night about all the bad things, about, about how Goldman Sachs people are, are at the Federal Reserve and, and you know, corporations are doing all these things in collusion with government and blah, blah, blah. And then when it comes to that, down to what do we do about it, the people that are Bernie supporters are like, more government. And I'm just like, fucking kill me. The government <laughs> hasn't caused it. Like, government didn't cause this problem already. Like, the, 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 fact, that, the fact that the guy that, that wrote the, the bill that bailed out the banks, the fact that he worked for Goldman Sachs, the, that Sharon said worked for Goldman Sachs, do you think this guy doesn't have friends at Goldman Sachs still? Do you think this guy's going to write a bill that hurts Goldman Sachs? Give me a break. The answer is take the power away from the government to make those kind of deals in the first place. They cut their nuts off. If you don't like if you if you don't like what you're getting, then stop giving the power to have this control and, and all this this effect on your life to people that don't give a crap about you. All they're worried about is enriching their friends and enriching themselves. Well, I, I think you know generally I'm I'm not an absolutist, and I think the best sure. thing about speaking with people on the quote unquote other side. Um, and I think that that side, I think, is a little as we the conversation we're having is is kind of fake. It doesn't really exist. But the thing is, when you actually learn the full side and you learn the conservative view and you learn the liberal view, you'll see that there's good points on both angles. And me, I'm 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 probably more I'm probably becoming more centrist as I get older and and centrist in in the idea that. I'm all about cherry picking the best ideas. Like I'll, I don't care where the idea comes from. It's just, how does it sound? Was it conceived with logic and research? Um, has it been implemented anywhere that we can look to see how it, how it worked out? Whereas the evidence, you know, I'm, I'm just generally looking towards evidence-based solutions. And, and, you know, not, Portugal, and did you know that, did, do you know that Portugal legalized all drugs a couple of years ago and they're, yeah. they're dependency on heroin like the heroin use plummeted all like all drug use in Portugal plummeted yeah. because they made a market for it why why i there was a piece actually in michael moore's new documentary your you know your 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 favorite uh documentary um <laughs> 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 uh, not as actually he just didn't one on trump but um he, the one he called where to invade next where he goes to each country and cherry picks different ideas but we're getting a little long in the in, in the tooth here so i want to i want to wrap this up even though you and i could probably do this for three or four hours which means which is great because we can that means we're going to be able to do it again i have like 
probably 40 questions. I asked like four of them uh, because we just, kind of, <laughs> which is, which is great because honestly it leaves a lot more uh, on the vine uh, to talk about later. And it also is a testament to that. It was a free flowing conversation. It wasn't like, all right, I will interview, you know, I, I really want to keep it, yeah. keep it smooth. All right. So any predictions for the, for the election? Uh, I'm, I'm not in the prediction business. No, I, I, I will say the same thing that I've been saying for the entire, uh, entire election process. Neither outcome will surprise me. Neither outcome will make me happy. <laughs> will you, is there one outcome that will make you more scared? I, I, I am genuinely concerned, and I know that, that Sam Harris has the opposite opinion of me, but I am genuinely concerned with, with Hillary Clinton being elected president because I believe that her saber-rattling towards Russia, her inept behavior as Secretary of State with, with the situation in Libya and the situation in Syria, her, I think that she makes it more likely that we would get into a war. And there's two points that I want to make about that before, before we – we close it up. So when she made the remark about we need to treat cyber hacking as an actual physical attack on America and we can't take a military response off the table, that is the most dangerous thing that I have heard ever. Now, again, I, I reference, you know, what my, my wife does and stuff. And because of that, I can tell you that we are hacked and attacked daily, daily. So if she was serious about that, then she's, she is far more likely to get us into a war than Donald Trump is. <clears throat> um, her behavior, if she, she also talked about the no-fly zone in Syria, that would lead to military, the militaries of the United States and Syria being in – I'm sorry, militaries of the United States and Russia – both being in Syria at the same time, and that greatly reduces or greatly increases the probability of some kind of mistake and U.S. forces engaging Russian forces. And if, and if, if we go in there and just say there's a no-fly zone, Russian planes are already there. So just to go ahead and be like, oh, we're going to do a no-fly zone. Well, you know, you're talking about kicking Russia out, and if Russia has a different opinion on that, then you're talking about nuclear war. So as much as I understand people are concerned about Trump's temperament, there are two things that Hillary Clinton has actually said that would lead to nuclear war or lead to, well, yeah, in my opinion, it probably would end up being nuclear war because Russia hacks us all the time. Um, I, I think that she honestly is the more dangerous candidate than Donald Trump as, as counter to what people, most people think in the first place. And I, I reference those two things that she said in speech as, as direct actual uh, policies that she says she wants to implement. And those, that would that would lead us dangerously close to, if not into conflict with another nuclear armed power. Well, I, I will, I will say that um, just to kind of counter that real quick one, I, I think if you were to press her on the cyber attack uh, comment, I, I'm pretty sure that that's, you're, you're taking kind of one thing, but there's not really a lot of, it's not like that's a, a stump speech point that's been uh she's been kind of throwing out there but i do agree that is a no she made uh, it a debate dude well i no no I, I, a debate. no no i i understand that but it's not i'm i do agree in a um in a vacuum that is a dangerous uh mentality to happen but i do not i do not personally foresee that as as a point of policy uh one but you know like i said i could be wrong um 
one just because it hasn't been something that's been echoed and i think if under you know if, if there were if the press was having any reasonable scrutiny if the surrogates were saying it well yeah well yeah i just think if if if, if this uh, election was focused on actual issues then we would hear more <laughs> about that unfortunately uh, these these sure. things that she should be pressed on and to get more clarification um, but but yes, I, I I do agree with that. If if it's true, even though I, I don't necessarily think it's true. And as far as the that whole scenario with Russia, I just think listen, we we were in a cold war for how long? Fifty years, and 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 no bombs oh, were no longer. Well, I'm I'm just saying it, to to me, I can't imagine that this is what what breaks you know the uh, the camel's back. You know, this is a straw that breaks the camel's back. That all said, I I think. There is a certain amount of alarmism um, into the idea about Russian aggression. You know, the truth is we are interlinked, and at the end of the day, money talks. Um, economies matter more than than bombs, and I think uh, ultimately it's it's more the, the the likelihood that we would enter a nuclear war with Russia at this point is. To me, just sounds like it sounds like science fiction. But you know, I, I don't want to belabor this, belabor this too much, and I didn't mean to be that guy that just gets the last point in and leaves you hanging. <laughs> but <laughs> but no, man, yo, I, I really appreciate you coming on, man. And I think you know you can tell that you're you're really educated a lot about a lot of this stuff. And even though we, like I said, our disagreements more in tactics perhaps than um, yep. some of the greater goals. Um, I think having converse, conversations like this is helpful to people and i would say if, if anything we phil and i can can uh implore to the listeners here is that engage people who you see as being on the opposite political stripe in a reasonable calm and respectful way and try and learn about what they have to say instead of demonizing them and thinking that they're the other and that they're libtards or republicans or any of these stupid words that um <laughs> you know it's not you know it's not helpful it's it's disruptive to our to our discourse um and the truth is the the, the demagogues out there um want us separated because and angry at the other at the other person and, and the truth is we we have to kind of claim the conversation and we can't allow yeah. these people to frame it for us so anyway brother i love you thanks for coming on this was a lot of fun you know i mean i, I don't know if, if uh music fans are are gonna care about it but um i know hopefully there's some political junkies out there who are gonna enjoy the conversation and more to come man i'll talk to you soon I talked with Phil Labonte. Again, I want to thank him for coming on the show. Uh, I really appreciate uh, him taking the time. It was that was that, that was awesome. I uh, just wanted to let you guys know that you know that's this show is kind of reflective of me really wanting to play with the format and try different things. I don't want this to be strictly an interview show or strictly a bi- autobiographical show. I'm not trying to read re-examine I guess what other shows have done I really want to set this apart and doing topical stuff I think is okay so like I said I'm gonna bring Phil on to talk about politics every now and again maybe I'll bring 
Brian Fair from Shadows Fall or Mark from Periphery to talk basketball. And it's going to, I'm, I'm just going to mess around with things and really try and keep it interesting. I don't want it to be too formulaic. I would also like to make a couple editorial notes. I looked it up. Yes, it was true. Gary Johnson was the 2012 Libertarian candidate for president. Um, Phil had mentioned a couple things about what his wife does. I don't know specifically what she does. I know she is former military and is involved in the intelligence world. Uh, probably don't want to go too much into that. You know, he's probably the better one to answer that. And to kind of give you guys some background on some of the things we were talking about, um, Sam Harris, who's a neuroscientist and a philosopher and atheist advocate, um, his website is samharris.org, and he has a podcast called Waking Up, which I highly recommend. Um, the Ben Shapiro show is what Phil recommended. I haven't checked that out, but I will now based on that. And the conversation with uh, Sam Harris and Hannibal Burris took place on a show called We the People Live with Josh Zepps. Also uh, highly recommended, really great conversations and debates, and a, and a fantastic discourse, so I, I recommend that as well. That's going to wrap things up. Thank you guys for listening. Mamba out. Hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.